0: Hello and welcome to Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy, the podcast where we discuss all things hysterectomy related. My name is Milani Fervoort, author of Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. In this episode, we talk about the emotional recovery after a hysterectomy. But before we go on, please remember that this podcast is intended for information purposes only and must of course never replace medical intervention. So if you are worried, please contact your medical provider immediately. In previous episodes, we looked at the physical recovery after our procedures. However, there's also a big emotional component, which can be as, if not more, challenging. Still, it's rarely addressed by the medical professionals. After our episode on how to prepare for the operation, we got such a big response that we decided to ask Abram Larue, a clinical psychologist, back to talk to us about the emotional healing post hysterectomy. Welcome back, Abram.
1: Thank you for having me back. Nice to be here, Melanie.
0: So, the one thing I was definitely not prepared for was the emotional roller coaster after the hysterectomy. I eventually, I had to come to the realization that I was mourning. Why is that?
1: Well, as we briefly kind of pointed out in the previous uh, cast, uh, I've kind of referred you to. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross kind of five stages of mourning. Now you have to remember that there is a severe loss and it also depends on which age you were kind of when the hysterectomy kind of what the circumstances are it's going to be different for every woman to what extent she's going to experience it the loss. I think in the last episode we also spoke that for some women it can even be a relief. So firstly to actually understand that it's going to be a unique experience for every woman and it's going to be different but in general we can actually say that most women would actually go through some form of loss and then we can briefly go through those five stages and just to pinpoint you know where some of the difficulties would actually come up that women need to actually keep in mind and the first stage is denial and i think that kind of you yourself said that it was quite a shock to get the diagnosis. And in your case, you had to go quickly for the operation. That shock is typical in a sense that our defences would make us deny this reality. It's like, oh no, this is not happening to me. This is too terrible, or I'm too young, or I'm such a healthy person, I'm doing everything right. So why was this happening to me? Why is it not happening to my friend that is actually not living such a healthy lifestyle? So all sorts of kind of uh, kind of thoughts will come up that is it's actually like, this is not happening to me. And obviously, the quicker we could actually come to the reality that it is happening, and we need to prepare ourselves, obviously, how much better it would be for how the process progressed from there onwards. And you could see already, I went into the second phase where it becomes negotiation. This is like, Um, What can I do? Can I I maybe have a second opinion? Uh, Maybe somebody else can tell me that I can go on some healthy regime and I don't need to go through this terrible operation and I would rather avoid that. So then there will be sometimes a clamoring for all sorts of kind of like different medications, different opinions then obviously women would speak with each other or especially with people that has kind of had a hysterectomy. And especially like listening to a podcast like this would be very much part of that second where we negotiate and see if there's other avenues that we can use in order to actually make it better or at least sometimes even avoid the operation. So when we realize that, okay, fine, there's no... We can't deny the reality, and we can't actually negotiate ourselves out of that kind of reality. Then the feelings come into play. And then the main feeling usually is the first one that presents itself as anger, like I'm now really angry kind of like, how's my body doing that? I've done everything right and now this is happening. Or this is such a violent operation. I don't want this to happen to my body. Anger can express itself in very different ways. It can also express itself kind of inwardly, kind of criticizing yourself and think that you're a failure, you should have been healthier, why is this happening? Or you can actually express it outwardly for a lot of women that would channel in the form of frustration, quick to bite off their partner's head if they say something that irritates them, or they can be very grumpy around the children kind of in a situation. And it's to- become aware that this is actually a normal reaction. This is not an abnormal reaction. And then have empathy and kindness towards yourself also in that irritated state so that you can start observing your field rather than to be in the turmoil of the wave rolling you. Rather view the wave from above and then you can see it actually roll and you can see it washes out on the beach and it pulls back again and you can see, oh, there's a rhythm. To these feelings and it doesn't matter if it's anger sadness all these kind of feelings come and go and the moment we start riding them like the waves we are on top of them then it's much much easier to actually deal with them than to be in the middle where it rolls us and then we feel completely off our feet all the time which can be quite a difficult place to be for um, a lot of women after the anger stage, then we usually move into the sadness. And the sadness is, is, is that we you really start now working with there is going to be a loss. We have kind of an intimate relationship with our body, so we don't want to lose any part of it. And I think that especially a part that we associated with something that was quite special, because for a lot of women, they've had pregnancy so that the womb was a very special experience of their womanhood. You can imagine how traumatic it must be for a woman that has to go through a hysterectomy before being pregnant mm-hmm. in that sense, because that loss will be kind of then kind of exacerbated by that kind of situation. So the thing is, is to actually then be very kind to yourself in that loss experience. And throughout this whole process, we must know that anxiety is going to be with us as well, because there's this anticipation of the loss. Is it going to be very painful? Am I going to be a completely different person afterwards? Can get back to some of those kind of fears and implications later on. But there's this anxiety that would be definitely part of the process. One of the things that we need to understand around anxiety is is that we sometimes look at anxiety as something like it's bad. We should not be anxious in any way. And I always explain to people to say like, no, anxiety is to the psyche as pain is to the body. It's a self-preservation feedback system. So if you step into a thorn, the feedback is, is you have to stop, pull it out, see if you need to do anything further, like putting an ointment or a plaster on, and then you carry on. If you would leave it, it can actually become gangrene. Be very painful with every step. Anxiety is trying to warn us that there's something happening to the psyche and we need to stop, investigate, see what we need in order to actually uh, work with that kind of anxiety so that we can move on. But in our Western society, we just think like, oh, it's, it's bad. We must ignore it or repress it. And the consequences is as bad as with pain. And that's why people become depressed after a while, because the chronic anxiety then starts creating depression which kind of then becomes a much more difficult situation to manage and then the final stage is as once we've actually worked through all these emotions held it we slowly start seeing acceptance where we realize okay fine i have to adjust to this new reality I need to prepare myself properly or the self-care is going to be very important. Get all the things in place, as we spoke in the previous podcast about when you start seeing that happening, then you know that you are working more in the accepting phase. And we must realize that we sometimes jump around with these phases, so they don't always come precisely in this chronological order. They will Sometimes we'll feel anger, sometimes we'll feel anxious, sometimes we'll feel denial again. Ultimately, you'll see more and more of the acceptance phase to be kind of your reality at the end.
0: I mean, I certainly went through all those phases, and you're right, they also repeat on you from time to time. I think the the moment the sadness really hit me was when The surgeon gave me photographs of my uterus, ovaries, and cervix that they took out. A few days after the operation, felt brave enough to look at it. I felt incredibly sad. I felt that I almost had to apologize to my body that that had been removed. I think for some women, it's different when they finally see what was causing them so much pain, you know, enlarged uterus Mm. or fibroids that was causing them so much pain. But I certainly felt a lot of sadness, you know, even trying to see where the cesarean cuts were on my uterus. One of the things that I struggled with a lot, and I think many women do, is the sense that your body betrayed you, that your body didn't do what it was supposed to do, you know, that it didn't keep you safe and healthy. How does one deal with that?
1: That boils down to the relationship you have with your body. What's very important is to actually reflect on that part of your world in a sense if we have a very harsh kind of my body has to perform up to a certain standard and it's just an object that i use to get where i need to go and to look a certain way whatever body is used for then it can be quite an abusive relationship towards the body and then we can also react with anger when the body is not performing in the way especially in a sickness no this is not happening this can't happen we're at war with our own bodies the whole attitude that you want to create is one of empathy so that you can go in a relational relationship with your body. You are holding the entire me in a sense. I need to be kind and caring and always be attentive to what that body needs. Because the more we actually fight it, the more we stop caring for it.
0: It also helped me, I think, when somebody said, but actually your body hasn't betrayed you, it has taken you through this process and you are okay. And that, almost to be thankful for that as well, the resilience and the strength of our bodies to recover after such a dramatic intervention.
1: Yeah, because you remember, your body warned you. Obviously you had some symptoms that made you go to the doctor that did the investigation that got to that point. So I would feel my body betrayed me more if I showed no symptoms, kind of like, and I became very sick and there's nothing they can do about it anymore because I wasn't warned. We need to actually kind of thank our bodies to say like, thank you for warning me. Thank you for telling me this needs to kind of be taken care of in whatever way.
0: So I think for women who, like you rightly said earlier on, who have not yet reached the end of their fertility, so they haven't gone through menopause by the time the hysterectomy is done, for them, there is a unique form of mourning, whether they wanted children or not, or whether they've had children or not, that this is the end of their period of fertility. I mean, I think women generally go through some version of that in any case through menopause. But I think even for women like myself who had gone through menopause, there is something else that kicks in or certainly did for me, even though I rationally understood that, of course, hysterectomies can be done at any age, it still felt to me that this was part of the aging process, that there's a sort of, in inverted comma, an operation that is done to women of a certain age, and I wasn't ready to feel that. And so I had to also deal with the anxiety and also sadness around a sense of aging,
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, all these things start uh, becoming in play. But firstly, most women will probably agree, as they started menstruating and becoming into contact with the feminine with inside themselves, there's a close correlation between menstruation, between kind of their womb and kind of experience the feminine and Mm -hmm. femininity in a sense. And then obviously there's kind of a link with sexuality and expression of that. So there's a lot of our identity invested in this organ in that way. So, uh, So we will obviously then experience a sense of loss when that is taken out. And because it is kind of seen, kind of the menstruation is this budding young woman that's moving into the fullness of her womanhood, The same then can be experienced by the woman, okay, fine, now it seems like this is the end, which is not true, but it can be experienced like that. And I think that a lot of women would feel, and I've heard so many women said, like, we become invisible at 50, Mm -hmm. as men don't see us. It's almost like we're not fertile anymore, so we have no use anymore. So the language like that is kind of not uncommon uh, when I listen to women in therapy space. So obviously, this is almost like a concrete example of I'm losing the core of my femininity. And would I be completely redundant as far as my womanhood is concerned? So you can see that can create huge anxiety. And in a lot of cases, that anxiety would be subconscious. You won't even know consciously about it. And it could be a dragging factor.
0: How to deal with that? I mean, for me, it was certainly important to very consciously say to myself, I can be creative and give birth, in inverted commas, in a new way to things. I mean, is that the best way to go about Or what should women do to counter that feeling of?
1: Yeah, the first thing is, as you already touched on, is is the fact that uh, you need to be conscious of it. Because if it's just simmering in the subconscious, it could have all these negative impacts without you even realizing it. Uh, which can lead to anxiety and depression, uh, withdrawal. All of those kind of symptoms then become part of us. So to reflect on what's happening inside you and then to start realizing, okay, fine, I'm actually dealing with this loss. We can then actually say, okay, fine, how can we now transform this loss into something creative. So we always speak in psychology about a life-death life cycle. So obviously the life is kind of the budding womb and then the loss of the womb, but what is the new life cycle? And then it can be creative projects, can be being a woman in a completely different way in the world. And I think that there's lovely examples of that in literature around that. So as to also expose yourself to those kind of opportunities.
0: The other thing that, of course, happens often after hysterectomy, and it can be positive or negative, is that women have to get a new relationship with their bodies but in particularly their sexuality and that often can also be either a point of great joy or of course depression if it doesn't work well
1: but definitely and as i said before you know there's this kind of attachment that we made where the womb can actually play a role in how you perceive yourself as a woman in in a sense so the loss of that could actually then inadvertently have a negative impact on how you view yourself as a sexual being so it's, again, awareness to say, like, what is my attitude around my body and my sexuality before and after a hysterectomy? How do I think about it? Because we need to actually first understand the narrative that we are playing. Reference males here, so this is when they go through a vasectomy, you could sometimes also see, like, oh, I'm I'm losing my brownness in, in that sense. But when you say, like, well, then you're like a sports car version now. Uh, and you can apply the same to women and to realize, well, finally, you can just have sex for fun. <laughs> and for a lot of women, that actually means a completely rethink of what uh, their sexuality means for them. And that sexuality was always kind of like in some way, mostly subconsciously, related around procreation. And then suddenly you're actually having sex for fun and can just enjoy that new phase of your own sexuality.
0: I want to just go for a moment to trauma, because I think often there is a residual trauma, one of diagnosis, but secondly, then the physical, as Gabon Matei says, the body never forgets, you know, the physical trauma in the actual cutting and operation, if there is a cut or whatever way the hysterectomy is done. It is important to deal with that trauma as well, isn't it?
1: Yes, definitely. The body would experience this as severely invasive. The body also wouldn't understand what's happened because, I mean, surgery is not something that we have installed in our brains kind of from prehistoric times. This is quite a modern, so our bodies hasn't really adapted to that almost violent attack in a sense. So although the medical science created opportunities for us to survive severe conditions through operations, we must always remember that it has a very, very powerful impact on the body. And if you look at trauma as a concept, then you say like, okay, fine, trauma is an experience. Now, what is an experience? It consists of four elements. So you can almost look at it in four. If you take a square and you divide it into four smaller squares. So the top left hand is your thoughts, your words that you have. Like, oh, you can explain what happened to me. Then you say in the right top hand, then you say that is basically my pictures to have. So we have words that we can describe and experience, but obviously our eyes see something. And so that is the pictures. And then at the bottom two, then you have your body sensations on the one hand, and on the other side, you have your feelings, your emotional feelings. Now, those four, if you put them together, symbolize them together, symbolize means putting together, and then the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts. That's an experience. But we have a defensive system in the body. If we have an experience that is too overwhelming, then it, in order to actually create uh, survival, we actually split those four squares. And each one goes to its own place and kind of deal with its own trauma separately, in order because now it's only a quarter of the trauma that's being dealt with. Otherwise, the shock will be. Us. Like, for example, if you're in a motor car accident, if you have a severe injury, it's sometimes quite interesting to see how corpus mentis a kind of awake person is. They don't experience pain. They're sometimes quite logical how to deal with it. They don't seem to be traumatized by the fact that maybe the leg is completely crushed or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, when you in real life see those four squares has been split off. And only later on, because we can't leave them in that kind of space. uh, By the way, that is what they call diabolic. It means to throw apart. And it's not negative, it's a survival instinct, although we made it kind of sound negative with the word diabolic. It's actually just moving apart to save us. When we start pushing it, integrating it again, which is again symbolic, with that comes all the experiences because now it's not just your thoughts, but the pictures comes together and that creates a bigger intensity. And it's not just your emotional feelings, but the physical sensations comes together. So that creates a much higher intensity. And then you put those two together, and that creates even a higher intensity, putting the body and the mind together in a way. And a lot of people's defenses actually resist that. They don't want to do that because it's too frightening, it's too painful, it's too overwhelming. And this is why we need to have an enormous amount of empathy and holding so that we, in a very careful way, can actually help these four squares to actually move back into one big square that the experience is fully integrated and experienced. And only then you have actually worked through that experience in a way. As long as it's split off, it actually lies there and it can fester and it actually can create problems in the long term.
0: I think one of the things that many women find really difficult is that they are not used to asking for help and thus after the operation suddenly being especially if it's been a radical hysterectomy with abdominal cuts that they are completely you know helpless in the sense of can basically walk to the bathroom and back but otherwise need help for a good week and possibly even a bit longer than that and then that they don't feel that the empathy and help is there from partners and so on, what would your advice be about that?
1: Well, the first thing is, is, is to make sure that they educate themselves properly so that they can expect that kind of level of helplessness that they're going to experience physically. So it doesn't come as a surprise because then they haven't prepared themselves and whoever else to be the caretakers is to help them in that space. But you get to also see this kind of situation lies within a broader cultural and I could say global narrative where women are the nurturers, mm-hmm. and uh, in a lot of cases it will be their male partners that were supposed to be the nurturers now. And in a sense, that was not actually installed as a, almost you can say as a program. That's why the women need to actually realize: okay, fine, this can actually become problematic if I haven't spoken with my husband or my caretaker through this process to say, you're going to have to be at home or somebody else is going to be at home or at night are going to have to wake you up to do this so that he is prepared or whoever is helping to know what impact there is going to be. And that's also going to be for a substantial time. It's not something that, okay, two days later now you must be up and going. It is uh, weeks so that they know, okay, fine, week one looks like this, week two looks like that so that they prepare. So education becomes absolutely essential.
0: And then it feels to me also that women should demand help. When I read many of the comments on Facebook sites, etc., women get frustrated by plates piling up in the basin or washing not being done, domestic chores. Then they eventually just go, I can't demand it. I don't want the conflict. So I'm just going to do it. And of course, set their healing back. And I also think emotionally that's quite damaging, both for yourself and your self nurturing but also your relationship with your partner. I want to ask you, at which stage, I know hormonal changes, of course, and particularly if ovaries were taken out, even postmenopausal, that can still have some effect. Hormones, of course, also don't help and can easily aggravate depression, anxiety, etc., or the lack of hormones. At which stage do women have to go and seek help? What would be the danger signs where it's not just a case anymore of talking to each other or dealing with it on your own?
1: The woman knows her body the best. She knows when she is herself. So when you start realizing, okay, fine, this is not just a slight up and down, I'm actually see, feeling that I'm sinking, especially if I'm getting more depressed or more anxious. Or in some cases, kind of, I've seen women uh, suddenly become very weepy very vulnerable kind of, and it's not context-based in the sense that it doesn't relate to what's maybe happening besides the hysterectomy now, what's happening in their lives, then we know that the hormones uh, can be out. And that's when I usually say, I think that you need to go and speak to your doctor to see if there's any kind of hormone treatment that is indicated, Uh, especially around something like testosterone. Sometimes when there's a sudden drop of testosterone, women become very, very emotional around that and and they don't understand what's happening. And then I say, like, but you must remember, testosterone is the happy drug. It makes you feel strong and makes you feel capable and it makes you feel you can move forward and tackle things in your life. It's when you feel everything is too much, completely overwhelming, I'm completely everything makes me burst into tears, then you know that testosterone is probably not what it should be, then to go and seek medical help. I always feel that when you see these symptoms, first go to your gynecologist or your doctor and sort out the physical first. And then if that is sorted, then you go to your psychologist or your psychiatrist in a certain sense, because they can actually see if there's kind of just emotional residue. But I've felt over the 30 years in my practice this is that It's no point in trying to solve something psychological if there's a biological underpin, like, for example, too low testosterone. I can't help a person to actually feel that confident and strong if the testosterone is too low, in in, in a sense. So we must remember we are biopsychological beings, and we need to kind of uh, take that into account all the time.
0: Abram, thank you so much. I think my takeaway for today is again how important it is to acknowledge that there is a big emotional component to having a hysterectomy that we should take as seriously as the physical healing process. So thank you for your insights and time. My thanks also to Nicola Bruns, as always, for producing this podcast. And thank you for listening. Please email me if you want to get in touch on hysterectomypodcast at gmail.com. I really enjoy hearing from you. I'm Melani Favut. Until next time, stay strong and stay brave.